The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. All right, good morning. Uh, welcome to OPCC. Good to see you all today. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, last week... <laughs> Last week we learned about taking the plunge, right? We, turned, uh, we learned about plunging beneath the cleansing fountain. And, and I sang a song, right? <laughs> Which is very unusual. And many of you um, said on your way out, oh man, you really have a good voice. You should sing more often. So this week we are gonna learn about lying and flattery, all right? <laughs> No, we're in, uh, we're in Zechariah chapter 13, and we're going to pick up on the last verse that we sh- talked about, about the cleansing fountain, um, and we'll, which was verse 1 of chapter 13, and we're going to go through the, the nine verses there in chapter 13, and today we're going to learn about the effects the plunge has on us, all right? So when we plunge into something, there is an effect. It just has... Like it just, it, 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 there are things that happen that another gear is turned on and you go through an experience once you plunge beneath the fountain. Um, it's sort of like, I, I, if I seem a little out of it, there's been a lot going on in my life here in the last week or so. I've got a lot of projects that I, I was working on with the, with the church um, and some other stuff that I'm involved in. And, um, and I hadn't had any downtime, you know? And so we had a little bit of nice weather, and, and I thought, man, I need to go out. I need to do something to break up this, this routine, kind of keep me a, a good, healthy Sabbath, if you will, to kind of break up the monotony. And so I got this dog, you know, Red Dog. I'm going to bring Red Dog one Sunday, okay? But he's, he's getting big. He's up to 60 pounds now. He gains about five pounds a week. And uh, so he's supposed to tap out at around 110 and um, so I decided, you know, I, I got him to, to teach him how to recover wounded deer, you know, to trail uh, game. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I'm going to take him out to the farm and just see how he does out in the woods, you know, see if he likes it. Red Dog has another gear. <laughs> and so when we came across the field, he was okay, but uh, you could tell like he was he was smelling stuff that he had never smelled before. And as soon as we entered the, temper, the timber, it was like holding on to a young calf, right? And he drugged me through that. Like he, you would be amazed at how strong he is. And, and we were just going through and, and he would get on a scent trail and just, just go nuts, man. He didn't want to go faster and faster. And so he literally took me on an experience that I've never had before. And it was pretty cool to watch him work, uh, but it left me kind of drained today, man. That was on Friday, and then I had a lot of work that I did um, yesterday on a project, and so I'm just kind of feeling a little like, whoo, like I've just had a plunge, right? I plunge into some things that brought about a change in me, a, a physical change. And so when we think in terms of plunging beneath the fountain, um, there are things that we don't see coming that, that should happen. There's a transformation as Sean was talking about in the song today, um, there's a transformation that happens to us, and we can see that here in Zechariah chapter 13. And as I shared before I, before I jumped into the text today, remember there, there's a couple of things going on here that we're looking at a, a, a prophet that wrote this prophecy uh, or wrote this, this oracle of God about 500 years before the time of Jesus, 
And there's a lot of prophetic truth that at the time of writing would be future for him. And some of it for us, it's not future because we're looking back on Christ having fulfilled it. And then some of it is even future still for us. So some of this stuff, some of these prophets would write about, and they weren't even sure what it meant, man. They were writing and, and they didn't understand the whole uh, ramifications of what they were writing, the whole meaning behind it. And so they're, my view of sort of the end times, how I see them uh, f- unfolding, where I kind of line up is that the church is spiritual Israel. And so the t- time of Christ, the the body of Christ, the church, is grafted into Israel. And so right now we're living in the church age, and that's spiritual Israel. But there's still physical Israel, the nation of Israel. And so the covenant of God with the nation of Israel, is there, there was a revoking on it to make way for the new covenant that brings in um, the Gentile world and anybody who has plunged beneath the fountain, they're part of spiritual Israel. So there's a lot of the prophecy that we read that is, it's being fulfilled through the church. And so as we read about it and learn about it, um, there are things that happen. There's a purification that goes on among people. And so there's a spiritual fulfillment of the prophecy. Well, there also will be a literal fulfillment of the prophecy with the nation of Israel itself. And so Israel plays a very important role in, uh, as the covenant people of God. And so right now, Spiritually, things are being fulfilled in a lot of these prophecies, but there will also be some futuristic stuff that will come about in the fulfillment of them actually happening with um, the nation of Israel, that nationally they will recognize some things. And so as we jump in, I'll I'll point out some of that uh, going on, and and there's some some hard sayings in this text uh, today, so um, I'll try to do my best to explain them to you. But here we go, verse 1, chapter 13, Zechariah. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And on that day, I will banish the names of idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, his father And mother to whom he was born will say to him, you must die because you have told lies in the Lord's name. When he prophesies, his own parents will stab him. Wow. Uh, On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his prophetic vision. He will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. He will say, I am not a prophet. I am a farmer. The land has been my livelihood since my youth. If someone asks him, what are these wounds on your body? He will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. And so before we go on and and read the remaining verses, just a little bit of comment on that. So Deuteronomy called for the Israelites as a nation. Remember, they're a theocracy. We are not under that rule any longer, but they are a theocracy that is led by God himself. And Deuteronomy says that if there was a false prophet that rose up um, within them, they were to take him out. He was either to repent and stop that evil, or he was to die for the false prophecy that he was proclaiming. And they failed to follow that. 
And we know that in time that it led to the demise of the entire nation, that they they fell. And we know that as we studied this since last spring, we started going through the minor prophets. We learned that a lot of the guys who were supposed to be prophesying for the Lord and hearing from the Lord, they were just prophesying things that the people wanted to hear. They were deciding what they wanted, that what was popular among their people, and they were prophesying to line up with that. And they weren't dealing with the false prophecy that was happening. And so one would go, man, it's hard for me to read a passage of Scripture like that and wrap my mind around a God uh, of the Bible and follow him when he says that somebody must be stabbed like that. Sometimes people will say of Christianity, and they will argue against it, saying that sometimes God calls for genocide of an entire people. And I can't understand that. I can't fathom how you could trust the Bible when it calls for genocide. And so that is an improper interpretation of what is happening there. You're not thinking totally through what's happening. You see, in these situations, what is going on is an evil exists in the midst. And so if I were walking down the street in your neighborhood, and I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I look into your house, and I see a strange man, and I know you, and I see a stranger in your home, attacking your wife, then I should go in. And if I have a conceal and carry um, license and I'm packing heat and that guy will not get off of your wife and he's about to harm her, a bullet should be put in his head. Like that's what I believe because he is harming an innocent victim and he is not listening and so there is a, there's a call for justice to be executed in that situation to protect an innocent victim. And if I didn't do that, you would think I was participating in the evil that was being portrayed against that particular individual. And so in that sense, I wouldn't be doing something harmful. It wouldn't be about the harm that I was causing to the guilty person. It would be about saving the person who needed my assistance. And so it seems harm when we just say shoot a person in cold blood, but when we're shooting a person because there is a crime being committed and harm being committed against another person, we can see there's grace in that. And so whenever God would say to them, like, uh, and he would speak of genocide, what was going on there? If that didn't happen, and you have to understand, God is not just saying, oh, you're my people and I don't like these people. No, These would be people groups who were evil, man. They were caught up in pagan practices and they were doing things that were leading people far away from God. They were involved in um, uh, like sexual worship where they were involved in orgies that, that, that surrounded their spiritual worship. I mean, it was evil. It was perverse. And Sometimes God would say things like that because it was his hand of wrath and justice coming against evil, and in it there is grace because it's protection for the people. If grace is not like executed in that moment, then all of these people are subject to it. So in this particular case, we have this guy who's a false prophet among the Jewish people, among the nation of Israel. And he starts telling lies against what God has revealed as his law. And he starts prophesying things that don't line up with the things and the nature of God that God has shown 
um, the people. And as he does that, then what happens is if he's in your home, and guess what? If Johnny is in your home and he's prophesying false lies about God and false truths, and you also have a daughter in that home, and you have a wife in that home, and you have another son in that home, and Johnny is allowed to continue to prophesy evil lies, guess what's going to happen to um, uh, his sister Sarah and his brother um, James? And even your wife can be influenced by that. And so God is showing the nation, remember it's a theocracy, thank God we're not under that covenant any longer, but, but he's saying you need to execute judgment in order that these others may be spared from the lunacy coming out of that individual's mouth. And so it's a hard saying, but that's exactly what God is, is communicating. So oftentimes when we look at these things like genocide in the Bible, it, it feels like it's all wrath, but we have to understand there's a reason for it. There's a grace side coming out of that. It's to spare other people. In some instances, they were doing evil things against people themselves, and they were executing them and making them slaves, and, and they were, like, it was just, it, like, you have to understand all that was happening in the midst of that particular culture as to why God would execute such judgment and such um, strong execution of justice in those situations. And so that's what's going on there. And we'll come back and we'll say, well, how, do we, how in the world, like, how in the world are we going to apply that passage of scripture? And you might be surprised to learn that I'm going to exegete that to you. I'm going to give you an explanation on it, that it does apply to us today. And Jesus even spoke of it under the new covenant. There is a way in which it applies to us directly um, that we can make an application. Then he goes on, so he's talking about this false prophet. And then he shifts gears all of a sudden, and he goes back to the good shepherd um, terminology. And it's a really um, a stark contrast between this false prophet. He goes back to the true prophet. And he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus mentions this. He even says on the night he's betrayed, he says, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep will be, you guys will be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. It happened several times is that um, when they arrested Jesus, man, the, the, the 12 that were chosen by him, like they just fled. They scattered and went all different directions. And it says, um, and I will turn my hand against the little ones in the whole land, declares the Lord. Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. And this third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. Okay, so there's a lot there that applies to the nation of Israel that is future, okay? But there's a lot there that applies to us right now that is spiritual. And so these things are getting played out. And so when I, um, when I plunge beneath the cleansing fountain that verse one talks about, okay? The fountain is opened, right? And we know that Jesus, when he was crucified, he was struck in the side with a sword just like Zechariah prophesied about. And last week we learned in uh, the end of chapter 12 that Jerusalem, it says, they will look on the one they have pierced. But what we learned this week is that it wasn't really them that pierced them, it was God that pierced 
Jesus. And I'll show you that here in a moment. But when that happened, and the blood and the water flowed from his side, it was a prophecy that the cleansing fountain would be open. It was like a fountain that was suppressed, and all of a sudden you hit it and you open it up and a spring comes forth. And Jesus identified himself. He's talking to the woman at the well, and he says, you know, give me a drink. And, and, and he starts talking to her about water, and he says, if you drank from the well that I have, then um, you, it would become a wellspring within you, springing up into eternal life. That's the cleansing fountain that is opened at Calvary when Jesus is crucified. And so whenever you walk beneath that fountain and you confess to Christ that you realize you're a sinner, you understand that he has done everything in order to cleanse you of your sin, and you plunge beneath it, okay, you don't just say, I believe that Jesus was real. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Like, that's not enough. Like, that's not it. What you have to do is plunge beneath the fountain. There has to be a plunge that you take when you lay your life down on the altar of sacrifice and say, Lord, I realize I am hopeless. I am a sinner. I stand in need of grace and I need you to pour it out upon my life. When you recognize that and you plunge beneath the fountain, something happens to you. Jesus called it being born again. The scriptures talk about being saved. And so over and over we see this, um, the idea of a transforming effect taking place in my life. So it's not that I go to OPCC. It's not that I was baptized and sprinkled as a baby. That doesn't do anything to you. To me, it's meaningless. So what do you mean? I mean it's meaningless. Because you have a will, and you make a decision as to whether or not you will plunge beneath the fountain. And if you don't make the decision to plunge beneath the fountain and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says all those who call upon the name of the Lord, a baby cannot call on the name of the Lord. Only a person who understands that they are a sinner can call upon the name of the Lord and ask them to forgive him. And by meaningless, I, I don't mean that there's no tradition in it, but I do mean theologically that it does not make you right with God. Like we don't see that in the scripture. What we see in the scripture is that a person comes to a place of saving faith and they are saved and they recognize that they have offended God. They recognize that Jesus was God in the flesh. They call upon him and they are saved from what? Their sin and they're cleansed and they plunge beneath the fountain. So when that happens, what are the effects that take place in the transformation once I plunge beneath the fountain? Here we go. Here's the first one. When I plunge, I will hate sin. Okay? When I plunge beneath the fountain, I will develop a hatred towards sin. First of all, he, 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 he starts to talk about idolatry, false prophecy, and impure spirits. And he says, they will be banished from the land. So there is a time in the future, and, and see, this is the thing that tripped Israel up so bad during this period of history, is they got tripped up by idols 
and the pagans worshiped all these different kind of idols, and so they ended up trying to take their faith in God, the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible, and mix it with some of this idol worship, and they ended up with some syncretism where they were taking two things and mixing them together and coming up with something and saying, this is what it means to be uh, uh, right with God. And it, it's, something, it's really similar to what happens in our world today. And that's why our world is so messed up, is you got people taking, and they want to believe things that their grandmother believed, and they know that they hold on to those traditional things that they saw a transforming power happening in, in, in maybe their family's life in the previous generation. And so they go to church, and they have a form of religion, but they have no power of, of, of the godly and the divine in their life. And so they're walking in the power of religion, and they're mixing it with things of the world. And so it becomes synchronistic, right? Is that right, Shay? Yeah. Why am I asking you? You don't know what synchronism means. <laughs> and so, man, it's so good to have a guy like Shay that you could just get after it with, right? Uh, and so, uh, and so like they, so they, w things get mixed, right? And 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 instead of walking in obedience to what the Word calls us to, we're mixing it up, and so we don't have this. Uh, this hatred of sin that has developed in our life. And so God says to them that he will remove all idol worship. He will remove all false prophecy. He will remove all impurity from the land. And so there is a physical futuristic time when all of that will be taken away, right? And we get to be a part of that. Like we look forward into the future where sin will no longer reign. It will no longer be present. But right now, in the spiritual, what happens is that when a person plunges beneath the flood, that is removed from them. And so my sin is taken away. Uh, the scripture says it's, it's cast away. It's as far as the east is from the west. It like it is, it is cast in the sea of forgetfulness. God takes it away. And so now it is to be removed in my life. All right, now I still am not fully redeemed and won't be until Christ comes back the second time. And that's what chapter 14 of Zechariah is about. And so I won't be fully redeemed in my body when that happens and I will rise from the dead and my, I'll have an imperishable body and it won't be bent towards sin. Right now my body, my physical body is still bent towards sin, but my soul is not. My soul has been saved from sin. It has been cleansed. And so the new man in me hates sin. But the old man that used to live in this body, and this body still remembers that sin. And so there's a struggle within me. It's called the war within man. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. And so there's a struggle going on. And that happens until this future time when Jesus comes back and sin is completely removed from the land. And so right now I'm living in a time where I'm going to struggle with this. But what this speaks of is, is uh, a spirit of delusion and living a lie. And so even the false prophet, when this happens, is ashamed. And so we see that there is an establishment of shame that happens once a person plunges beneath the flood or the cleansing fountain. They plunge beneath that fountain, they are cleansed, and all of a sudden, shame happens in their life. Shame for what? Shame for sin. What is sin? Sin is the word harmatia, and it's an archery term. Did you know that, Brian? That's what it is, man. 
That's why it's a sin to miss your target, right? <laughs> and so and that's what it means, falling short of the target. And so w- whenever we fall short of the target that God has laid out of us, laid out for us, then we are sinning against God. So we can define a, a few socially things, social things, and we say, well, these are socially unacceptable because they're sin. That's not what sin is. Sin is anything that is in rebellion against God. That means if God is calling me to do something and it's good and I don't listen and I don't walk out what he's asking me to do, like go over and minister to my neighbor and I don't even know why he's like impressing upon me that I'm gonna go over and do something for my neighbor and I keep ignoring that and I don't do it, I've just sinned, right? So we can sin, like sin doesn't always have to be this socially unacceptable thing. And so what happens is, is that when we are walking in sin and we don't have a hatred for it, we have a love for it, then we end up with a spirit of delusion. And God says in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, I think Peter talks about it, I think Timothy talks about it, over and over in Scripture, it says that God will give people who are rebellious toward him over to a spirit of delusion. That's the world we're living in right now. The world is deluded, and they think they are in relationship with Christ. You can't think you're in relationship with Christ and have so much stuff that is so plain and so, so simple. Like people even like, um, like calling wrong right. That's the world we live in right now. Just watch the news. Watch what's happening. Watch what's happening and who we are recognizing as leaders right now. It's completely upside down. Why? And why? You go, how, how can people not see this? A spirit of delusion has fallen on our country. If you look at our country as a whole, and so we want to get upset and we want to go, man, we got to get these people in Washington turned around. No, we got to get the church turned around. We got to get everybody sitting under the sound of the preaching of the gospel turned around and not uh, being infiltrated with a spirit of delusion so that we're not putting people in office that are making decisions like that. And so the society reflects what's happening really in the midst of the church. And that's why America was so incredible and such a Christian nation on its forming is because back then when, 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 when the church came out of the ground, these people were fleeing and making this hard journey so that they could worship the Lord according to how they knew the word taught them, not how the church was telling or the state was telling them how to do it. And so they had a, a pure spirit. And so now out of that pure spirit and out of a lack of delusional thinking, you end up getting this incredible country because God is blessing the work that is happening from his people, his children. And so here's the deal, is that when shame happens, then, and, and when we plunge beneath that fountain, then uh, the dominion of sin in my life is taken away, all right? It doesn't, mean I'm, 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 it doesn't mean it's impossible for me to sin, but it does mean the dominion of sin is taken away. I'm no longer ruled by sin. I'm ruled by the Holy Spirit. And so um, I no longer love sin. As a matter of fact, I start hating it, and I hate it when I do it, and I recognize when I do it, and I hate it that I have offended God in that moment. And so it says that it's rooted out so thoroughly that even families will not tolerate it. Okay, so we look at that and it says, it talks about in the old covenant, it talks about the separation of the family through, like if this son won't respond, this is how you deal with it. Well, what does Jesus say? This is what Jesus says. 
of Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean if you want to be in love with Jesus, you have to hate your mom or your dad? No, that's not what it means. But it does mean this, that the claims of family and the claims of Christ often collide. And when they do, you must be in a position that you choose to displease those on earth in order to please the one who lives in heaven. And so you're not led by what your family may think. You're not led by what this person may think. You love Jesus more than any earthly relationship and your allegiances to him. And so that's what Jesus is referring to. And so uh, sin is destructive, man. Like it is destructive and it's essential that we hate it because if we don't hate it, um, then we will desire it, all right? Now here's where it becomes complicated. The problem is, is that you won't hate it unless you're cleansed from it. So you can hear a message like this and I can talk about it and you can walk out of here and you can go, well, that's sin, I need to hate that. But I like it, right? <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do? Well, first of all, there has to be a transformation that happens in you. You have to be transformed. It's not something that you just try to do in your own will. If you try to do it in your own will, you'll never get there, okay? It's about a transformation happening on the inside of your life. And so 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 7, this is what it says. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What is, he, what is the apostle John saying there? He's saying it's the plunge beneath the fountain that cleanses me from the sin. And so you will never be able to get, to get you will never come to a place in your life where you hate sin until you die to yourself and plunge beneath the cleansing fountain of Christ's blood. And when you do that, that's one of the things the scripture says we are transformed into new creatures. Well, one of the part of the newness is, man, there, there's a time where you, you love to do all these things that you, that you didn't even think about them being offensive to God. And then all of a sudden, man, you get saved and you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. My flesh still wants to, but there's something in me that doesn't enjoy that like it used to. What is going on? What is going on is you've been changed into a new creation. And now you have a hatred of sin. And what you need to recognize is that people who have never plunged beneath the fountain don't have the same hatred towards sin that you do. And that's why you have to be careful about the, the, the amount of time you spend relationally with people who haven't plunged beneath the fountain because they will awaken your old man and your old man will want to engage in the sinful behavior that he used to walk in. Now, I'm not saying in any shape or form that we are not to be a part or to be in fellowship with people who have plunged beneath the fountain. We are to be, but we also need to be in relationship with people who have plunged beneath the fountain. 
And so that we can maintain our strength and maintain our love for God and our recognition of sin in our lives and our, and our hatred for it is, is like it's able to be fleshed out in our body. And so what, it's important for us to understand, theologically, people who have plunged beneath the fountain hate sin. People who have not don't. And we are living in community together. As a matter of fact, there may be some of you here today that you've never plunged beneath the fountain and you don't hate sin. And there may be somebody sitting on the row with you that has plunged beneath the fountain and you hate sin. This is why the scripture says don't be unequally yoked. Be careful about that. Be careful about who you go into business with and who you marry. It's because one of you may love sin and the other may not and you're unequally yoked. And so you wanna yoke up with somebody else who hates sin like you hate sin and has been transformed by the power of the cleansing fountain in your life. And so that's important for us to recognize this is something that happens when we plunge beneath the fountain. And so what are we doing by plunging beneath the fountain? Really, like, we're just getting wet. Like, there's really no effort in it other than recognition of the deity of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and, 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 and really understanding and mourning over my sin. Remember it said last week they will mourn individually over the, the one they have pierced. And you will recognize that it is your sin personally that put Jesus on the cross. And you, like, just like that illustration I gave of the deer, when he gets shot, man, he wants to run off in the woods somewhere but alone and die, right? That's what happens when you plunge. So that's what a plunge is. So that's the first, first effect. Now, good news, that was the longest one, okay? Now, this is, before we leave this, the time will come when all the earth in its present form will hate sin. We're not living in that time right now. When Jesus comes back, and the eastern sky is, is split, and he comes back for the second time, then there will be a transformation over the planet, and all will hate sin. That's a good day to look forward to, because even like there will be a transformation of the physical body. The planet will even um, shift and be different as the Lord returns to claim it for himself. Here's the second effect. When I plunge the sword of justice will sleep for me. The sword of justice will sleep for me. Now look at verse seven of our text. Awake, O sword, against who? My shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little one. Notice the sword is awakened by whom and for whom. What's interesting is in the Old Testament Judaism, they, the doctrine of the Trinity, God or God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was not fully developed, okay? And you don't see it as distinctly. When you get to the New Testament, you see it. But after you understand the Trinity and you look back on a verse like this and it says, Awake, O sword, against who? My shepherd, against the man who is close to me. 
Now that is like a neighbor, one who resides right with me. It carries the, um, the, the way the phrase is written in the original, it carries the, the phrase of equality. That's just why Jesus could say, I and the Father are one. Okay, so God, in essence, at this moment, was awakening the sword to strike himself on the cross of Calvary. And what that tells us is that for the person who has not been cleansed of sin and plunged beneath the fountain, the sword doesn't need to be awakened. It's already awake. Like, it's just a matter of time until that person draws their last breath. If they don't plunge beneath the fountain, then the sword of justice will pierce their lives and they will die in their sin. But for someone like myself who has recognized that I am a sinner and I stand in need of God's grace and I have confessed that I'm a sinner to him and I have plunged beneath the fountain, the sword of justice has been put to sleep on my life and I have no fear of meeting God because I have been cleansed from my sin. And so that's, a good, that's like the good news of the gospel is that the sword sleeps for us if we have plunged beneath the fountain because we are cleansed of our sin, it no longer remains. Now here's the third takeaway. When I plunge, I will be refined. So as I take the plunge underneath the fountain and I receive the Lord into my life, then I will be refined. Um, it says this way, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one third will be left in it, and this third I will bring into the fire, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. So again, in the future, we look and there will be people that, that will go through this process and two thirds of them will not be refined and a third of them will. But right now, in the church age, from that time that Jesus showed up on the planet and died on the cross of Calvary, the last days started upon the resurrection and they will end upon his return to the planet. And so we are living in the church age. And so during that time, any time that somebody comes to a place where they recognize that Jesus is Lord and they call upon him for salvation, then all of a sudden they become part of the remnant. What is a remnant? The remnant is all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. There's always a remnant of God's people, and that is the people who are being faithful to them, to him. So out of the Old Covenant, remember, there was a remnant that returned back to Jerusalem the, out of all those who had been carried away in exile. Well, we know that the remnant in every generation are the people who have been cleansed by the fountain. That's the remnant. Not everybody that we know, not everybody that we're walking with in the, on the planet today, like everybody thinks they're going to heaven, but everybody is not going to heaven. The only people that are going to heaven are the people who are part of the remnant. You say, well, how do I get in the remnant? You better plunge beneath the fountain and have your sins cleansed from you because there is no sin that is going into heaven because it's offensive to God. Why is it offensive to God? Because it's rebellion toward him. It is not in relationship with him. And a person who is in relationship with him has been cleansed of their sins and they're now part of the remnant and they go through a refining process. There are those today who will teach um, in a prosperity gospel that means that if you give your life to Jesus and you plunge beneath the fountain, that there will be nothing difficult in your life. And that is garbage, right? That's just not the way it works. Like the, every one of the early apostles, with the exception of John, were persecuted for believing in Jesus. They were executed for their faith. Only John, the apostle, got to die a natural death. And so when we look at this, what we see is that we're going through a refining process. So I want to show you real quick in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 
First Peter 1, 6 and 7 says this. So the apostle Peter writing, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, when Jesus returns, like you go through these sufferings, you go through these trials, you go through these difficulties, it is a refining of your faith. Look at the um, chapter uh, 4, verse 12. Dear friends, this is Apostle Peter writing to the church, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What is this teaching? It's teaching that the refining process shapes us and brings us into a place to where the glory of God is coming out of our lives. And so you go through that refining fire and it burns off all the dross. It burns off all the impurities so that all that is remain is what is um, pr precious metal. And in this case, in this metaphor, God is saying that you will go through sufferings, you will go through trials, but they will prove your faith. They will test your faith. They will burn away the dross, and you won't suffer like somebody who has no hope. You may go through suffering. You may go through loss, but you won't grieve like the rest of the world. You will grieve as one who has hope, and glory will come out of your life because you will be reflecting what I have been putting in you will be reflected to those around you as you bring glory to me, especially upon the return of my son, which brings us to the final takeaway. When I plunge, I will be his and he will be mine. Okay, look at, look at this in verse, um, these people who come through the fire, the second part of verse nine, they will call on my name. They will call on my name. And what will he do? I will answer them. I will say, they are my people and they will say, the Lord is our God. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. As you read the Song of Solomon, it's about a bride and a groom, but it's really about the church um, and Jesus. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And so we walk in this relationship when we have plunged beneath the fountain that God becomes ours and we become his and we are in, we are in unity with him. Not because of anything we have done except for plunged beneath the fountain and our sin has been cleansed, and now we are different beings who have a hatred toward that sin that we used to love. And so this is the big idea of today's talk. I join a revolution when my heart is renovated. Not when I decide to go to a church at a particular denomination, or I try to, you know, I'm, I identify as this, that, or the other. I join a revolution when my heart is renovated. And that's the big idea of the talk is that there must be a renovation of the heart to walk this out. You don't just make a decision and go, oh, well, I, I think I'm going to try to be good, like Jesus says. No, you're desperately wicked and hopeless in your sin. And the only thing that can save you 
is that the Lord cleanses you and changes you. And so we, we have to understand this because we have to realize that we don't just bring our kids to church. We don't just, uh, like we're modeling for them all the time what it means to be cleansed of our sins. And they come to a place where they too are cleansed of their sins. Each one of our kids needs to walk through a personal transformation where they recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior and they plunge beneath the fountain and they recognize that Christ has cleansed them from their sin and they're changed into new creatures. You simply can't just do it because you want to. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Jesus says that nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws him unto himself. And so the Lord will start drawing you. And what you have to decide is, is in that moment as the Lord is inviting you, it's just like if somebody says, hey, we're having a get-together over at our house Friday. We'd like to invite you. You go through a decision process. Do I really want to go? Like, do I want to hang out with those people? And at some point, you have to say, yes, we'll be there. And you go. Well, the Father draws you into an invitation. He says, hey, I want you to be part of the remnant. And you get to decide, do I really want to be part or do I not? And when you decide in the affirmative and say, Jesus, I want to be part of the remnant. I want to know you. I want to be cleansed of my sin. And you walk beneath the fountain and you take that plunge. He cleanses you of your sin. And all of a sudden you're different because he makes you into something different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Jesus said it this way. Behold, I make all things new. And so, like, I've joined the revolution. And so I stand before you and I preach the word, not because I'm good at hating sin, not because I'm good at following Jesus, not because I'm a good husband, not because I'm a, a good example to the community. I preach the gospel to you because I'm clean. I've plunged beneath the fountain. <laughs> My sin has been removed. Because like, I, I'm, I'm just a new person. I have been invited into the kingdom of Christ and I've said yes to the invitation. I've plunged beneath the fountain and all things have been made new in my life. Have you joined the revolution? Has your heart been renovated by the great physician who can take away your sin? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gospel. It is good news, Lord, and it's so encouraging to know that you were writing about the gospel through prophets 500 years before you would show up on the planet, Jesus. That's amazing. It's so encouraging. It builds our faith, Lord, that we can turn every page of scripture and we can find you on it, Jesus, and that we can walk in power and truth in a spirit, Lord, that like loves you because of the transforming power that you perform on our lives and that, Lord, we become yours, but we, you say that, that you become ours. And so we rejoice in that today. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around and you say, you know what, I think the Lord right now is inviting me into the remnant and I've never accepted the invitation. And today 
I want to take that plunge and accept his invitation and, and, and have my heart renovated by him. Anybody at all would just raise up your hand and say, before I lead us, like in a, or Sean leads us in a dismissal song, you'd say, that's me. That's me. I want, to, I want to join the remnant. Man, the Lord is inviting me today. Good. Just raise your hand and put it right back down. Anybody else? I've never had my heart renovated. Now, today is the day of salvation for me. Anybody else want to get in on this? Okay, listen, if you raised your hand, here's the deal. Like, you got to go alone and be with the Lord and die. Right now in this moment, just die. Just like open up your heart and just like you would apologize to somebody you've offended, just start speaking to the Lord and apologize to him for being a sinner and ask him to cleanse you from your sin. You pray right now and that's what it means to become a Christian. Lord, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for new life coming into our fellowship. We thank you for your atoning work on Calvary. Lord, like, what a, what a joy it is to be a part of the kingdom. And we pray that as we celebrate and worship today, that you would just move in a very unique way. Help us to go away from this place, walking in the fullness of the Spirit, being refined as we walk through the trials, recognizing, Lord, that it's producing a greater faith in us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. And amen. If you made a decision today, those of you online or here, like share with somebody, let them know. Like the first um, thing, the most valuable thing that you can do. I was so encouraged, man. Cody called me a couple weeks ago. He said, Jimmy, look, I want to talk to you. He said, man, I gave my life to the Lord out in Kirk's driveway. Yeah, it was awesome. He plunged beneath the fountain, man. And I was so encouraged to get the call. And so tell somebody if you make a decision for the Lord. Sean, lead us in worship. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.